0: and welcome to episode forty-five of Down the Track. Sean Whip, welcome once again.
1: Thanks for having us back again, Tim. We're uh, we're clocking up clocking up the episodes now, so we're getting yeah heading
0: getting heading towards the fifty. In. Yeah, uh, been a little bit of a break because this one, uh, as listeners will find out, has been a, a combination of quite a few interviews. So a lot of thanks goes out to those people who volunteered to be interviewed for this uh, episode, and it, it does make for very interesting listening, doesn't it, Sean?
1: Yeah, it takes a little bit more putting together, um, definitely at your end in terms of rounding everyone up. Um, you know, at the times that suit them best, and, and getting to have a chat to them. But I think this, you know, this is definitely one of the episodes where there should be um, a real level of variety for everyone. So I feel like we've, you know, you've done really well in covering off most of those event groups um, and, and a few familiar and not so familiar faces from the AV community.
0: No, it is good. So the intent of this one is just to to hear the thoughts of various people across the spectrum of athletics about how Stage 4 in particular has impacted them, their groups, their families, and just get a bit bit of more insight of, of what it does feel like to be in Victoria right now. I think this will be historic. We'll be listening back to this one in about 20 years' time, Sean, and thinking, oh, do you remember 2020?
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone at any level of industry or sport is, is free from uh, the current restrictions. So... Yeah, it's definitely interesting to hear um, everyone's takes on it and and some of the ways people are are coping within their training groups.
0: Okay, so let's go straight to it. We'll go into the interviews. Then we'll follow that up with a bit of a uh, review and summary from Sean and myself and we'll talk about a few more general topics regarding athletics in Victoria, Australia, the world. Catherine Mendes, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. You're 19 years old and it feels like you've been around forever. When did you start in the sport?
2: Um, Yeah, I pretty much started right from the start of Little Ass. You know, when I was six years old, I was watching my older sister, so I wanted to get into it as soon as I could. So, yeah.
0: One of the interesting things about the Mendes family, though, you've all got different specialties now, haven't you? So you've got, you know, Louise and Jennifer and yourself, but you're all doing different things. Do you want to sort of give us a bit of background about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty much doing jumps and sprints, like focusing on long jump and triple jump. Louise, she's been doing throws pretty much her entire career. Um, she's focusing on uh, you know, hammer throw. Um and Jen, she um does a lot of the longer distance stuff. So she's doing fifteen hundreds and she used to do steeples at one point. So yeah.
0: Yeah, well, it's quite. That's a range, isn't it? <laughs> From
2: three, yeah. three
0: sisters in one family, quite interesting. Let's let's talk more about you. Uh, twenty twenty for you was going really well. You're in PB or you're getting PBs uh, quite regularly. I think in March you got bronze at the state champs in twelve twenty nine, and then a couple of weeks later at Glen Huntley, you've got you've got a new P, a PB of twelve thirty. Yeah. You must have been feeling pretty good about things at that stage, and looking forward to nationals.
2: Yeah, like just to see myself sort of progressing and the, uh, I don't know if you were there at the Glen Huntley competition, but it was pretty strenuous. Um, It went for quite long. So to be able to be jumping that in that sort of condition, I was really ex- looking forward to nationals and um, just excited to see what I could do.
0: I think with the Glen Huntley competition, you poked out your biggest one or your PB on the last jump, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I did. And that was after like an hour, oh, an hour and a half of jumping. So yeah, it was very long, so
0: well, obviously, some of the uh, the endurance genes that your, your twin insistence got were coming through there. Yeah. Now now it was shortly, that was twelfth of March when you jumped in Glen Huntley, and it was only about a week later that uh, things really started to come home with uh, the Covid nineteen and the announcement that uh, nationals wouldn't go ahead. Uh, first thing for you, we've now moved on through April, May, to July into August. In July, things started to go pretty bad. With these latest restrictions to stage four, what was your immediate reaction when you saw what those restrictions were about how it would impact you personally and your sport, your studies, all those sort of things?
2: Yeah, you know, it was pretty frustrating and disheartening at first because um, like during the first lockdown, I had pretty much trained that entire time by myself. And at that stage, I was looking at it as like a positive thing. Like I was like, okay, I can use this time to focus on myself and build a base for myself. But obviously by the end of that, I just really wanted to get back into coaching, um, training with my coach and my squad and just back to a normal sort of routine. Yeah, then when we went back to training, that was only for a couple of weeks and I think it's disheartening in that those couple of weeks I found myself making a lot of improvements with my coach. Like, um, you know, Alwyn is a very visual and a technical coach. so he Having him there during sessions, it's really important because he can pick up on fine movements and like it's constantly giving you feedback. And so to go from a situation where, you know, I had my coach for a little bit and then it was all by myself and that sort of observation aspect um, aspect was like taken away, I guess, um, it was was frustrating because I had to start doing it all again uh, by myself. But um, in saying that, we were a lot more prepared the second time around. I had to start training by myself a couple of weeks before the restrictions were announced just because I live a bit further away from the track than a lot of the other people. We sort of got into a routine where he would send me programs and he would call me and like ask how I'm feeling and what I feel like I, I'm, I could do. But um, yeah, I think being um, more prepared the second time around has been really important and that communication even though I can't have a coach in person which I guess it's just dis- different for every discipline in athletics but um, for us as jumpers it was really important. Yeah it's uh, it's been I guess a case of just adjusting to everything and modifying what we can do and focusing on like what is available for us and looking at what we can do in the situation that we're currently in.
0: Now, I'm not totally surprised because I see I know well and he's a very well-organised and well-disciplined coach. Yeah. But but being in a technical event like the triple, which you now is your specialty, that does present quite a few challenges, doesn't it? Because as you say, you don't have the coach there, you know, eyes on you seeing what you're doing and trying to do the adjustments as necessary. So has training had to change as a result of that, the type of training you're doing? Is that changing? And I suppose, you know, you haven't got a pit in your backyard or anything like that, have yeah, you? Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> Like I said, we have sort of, at this time, we're focusing less on a lot of the technical stuff because obviously I can't, I've only been doing triple jump with Alwyn for about a year and a half. So um, I'm still learning a lot of the movements and getting used to it all. Um, and so not having Alwyn there, I've had to focus less on all that technical stuff and put more emphasis on during this time, specifically on base stuff and like strength and speed and what I can sort of do b- by myself. And um, yeah, just he texts me and calls me and says like, oh, try to focus on this during your session. But obviously, it's not that um, consistent feedback after every rep that we would normally get training in person. So yeah, it's it's a lot different at this time.
0: So the new season wasn't that far away and you would have been in that position of starting to re-prepare for October, November, you know, first jumping comps with the stage four lockdowns coming in. How does that? How has that changed uh, your preparation um, through to the
2: start? Yeah, it's it's changed obviously quite a bit. You know, um, normal winter training it would have sort of been set out in I guess stages where there would be a time where we did a, um, like beach training for a couple months, and that has completely been had to change, and we've had to replace it with things that we can do by ourselves and that we can do locally uh, in terms of like preparing for the next season. You know. There was that stage where things were sort of looking up um, and we could get back to normal training and it felt like a normal winter preparation period. But now that I guess all of this, the situation has completely changed, um, we've had to sort of not really take a step back, but I guess slow the progression down. You know, Um, where at this time we probably would have been doing more technical stuff, we obviously can't do that. So I think we're still just working on a base with, you know, strength and speed and I guess not rushing or not progressing too quickly into the season because, like you sort of said, like the season is very uncertain at this time, you know. It could be pushed back a month or two or even until the next year and no one can be um, too sure about when that's going to happen. But even so with the current lockdown that we're experiencing, you know, it's supposed to go for six weeks, but depending on how the situation is, in a couple of weeks time, it might be like a completely new situation and it might be extended or the restrictions might be changed to a point where they're eased, but I might not be able to travel to go train with my coach and my squad again. So I think we're just taking everything cautiously and just focusing on not going backwards, but um, just keep going forwards, just at a slightly slower rate and not expecting things to go ahead as they usually would
0: yeah uncertainty is the key word at the moment isn't it Uh, none of us really know what lies ahead of September 13 or when the the next review date is now the past four months in themselves have been quite strange on many levels for all of us how have you found this has impacted things like your diet your sleep patterns your relationships uh your study work all that sort of stuff you know what have the last four months really been like for you
2: you know I think everyone can sort of relate to this a bit. But um, yeah, there was a period of time where my sleep schedule completely, I guess, fell out a bit. You know, I sort of completely lost a routine. I'm in my second year of university. And so where I'm normally used to like waking up early and getting ready and then heading to university like that has completely changed. You know, classes are just opening my laptop and logging in. So yeah, just like not having a routine really impacted on sort of my day-to-day life. I was like going to bed really late and then waking up really late. And then that was having an impact on my diet because um, you know, my my meals weren't spaced out and I felt like because of that, um, I wasn't eating enough and uh like none of the right stuff. And so I had to um readjust all that and it came a point where I was like, okay, cat, you have to you have to really reel this back in. So I was like trying to recreate a routine and I think that's been really important, just like making myself go to bed earlier. And then I think setting an alarm has helped each morning, even though I don't have anything to get ready for. I think just getting back into the routine and that has also allowed me to uh, fix my diet and so all my meals are spaced out and I'm not feeling tired like I was at the sort of start of these four months. As for I guess my relationships with people they have changed but um, I think we're doing our best to adapt you know my friends and I we all do either uni or work full-time so um, I think since February March we've been able to see each other once um, and that was when the restrictions were eased a little bit. But I think we're still managing to message each other every day. And with the technology that we have, like FaceTime, that's really helped and it's been important for all of us. And it's the same thing for, you know, my squad. Like I message, I message some of my squad members and I ask them what they've been getting up to and how their training has been going. So I think that communication, that, that support has been really important. And I think everyone can like really benefit from that. Everyone is still trying to figure out how to cope and how to deal with the situation that we're in. It's really, I guess, novel, and no one has no one has experienced anything like this before. And so I think also mental health is a really important topic at the moment. So reaching out to people and communicating, you don't know when someone can need it and how much of an impact it will have on them and how beneficial it is. So I think, you know, what's been most important and what's helped me is just creating a routine and communicating. So yeah, I think everyone... Use a little bit of that, so yeah.
0: Isolation is a really big word that's sort of come into play that we hadn't really used that much uh, for most of our lives. In those times yeah. of isolation, and even in your family situation too, you still would be suffering isolation. Who who do you find are the people you're turning to the most?
2: You know, I think my sisters are so important to me. You know, um, we're all sort of in a similar situation in life we all do uni and we all still do our sport so I think having each other there every day has been really beneficial because we were close beforehand but now we're like really really close because we're constantly around each other and I think that's important because we can't see our own friends or our own training squad and so yeah my sisters uh Really important to me, and I think being able to communicate text and uh, social media and stuff has also been really important.
0: Catherine Mendes, you've really nailed a couple of those uh, questions there. Some really good information. Uh, good luck for when we do get the season going. It'd be great to watch you back on the boards and getting those uh, distances up in the triple. And looking forward to seeing you back out there during the summer.
2: Thank you so much.
0: So Peter Benefar, welcome along. Uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I've
3: been looking forward to it.
0: That's good. So, Coach Par Excellence
3: out in the eastern suburbs, specialty in hurdles, that's correct? Yeah, very much. That's my focus. It's hurdles. There's only two events for me, really. Short hurdles, sprint hurdles and uh, long hurdles, 400 hurdles. So, that's it. Great to have a specialty, isn't it? It is. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's, it's developed in a real passion for me and uh, I've got a, a great squad I uh, love spending time with them and missing it at the moment, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I've never really had that uh, that need to to coach multiple events. It's um, it's worked well for me so far.
0: I reckon there's quite a bit of difference between the sprint hurdle and the long hurdle, though. Do you want to sort of give us a bit of background on your thoughts about that as well?
3: Yeah, no, definitely there is. Um, I mean, obviously the sprint hurdles, primarily you have to be a good sprinter. Um You'll see a lot of people who struggle with the sprint hurdles and they get a bit stridey. Uh, ultimately, you know, there's a target time you, you need to have for that flat speed. But the sprint hurdles are a very, very technical event. Um, you know, The little gains you can get around the, the, the actual hurdling technique are, are huge. Whereas the 400 hurdles, it, it's a completely different thing. I, I, my belief is it's it's very much more about rhythm uh, so that you're not you know, slowing, accelerating and just wasting energy. You can get away with being um, a little less technically gifted, um, and for the girls in particular, the girls the girls only have to get over a seventy six centimetre hurdle, which is um, I think is is too low, but uh, that's what they have. So really, you know, for a four hundred hurdler, if you can get a feel for that rhythm, and it, it takes them time. You know, you can see people attempt the four hundred hurdles thinking it's 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 going to be easy. You know, I can run a four hundred, I can run a four hurdles, but when you watch them and, and the tempo they run it at, it's it's all over the place. So the big thing we do a lot of work throughout the program really is, is just on that on that rhythm and tempo for the event.
0: With the sprint hurdles too, the the cost of an error though, you know, you're saying that you can make those small gains that make a big difference, but the, if an error is
3: made, that also makes a huge difference too, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And, and again, that's, a, that's the sometimes the heartbreaking thing. You can have someone who's, who's been training beautifully, they've been competing well, and for whatever reason, they, they could just be getting slightly off balance between, between the hurdles and the race is over. And in fact, if you, if you don't get to the first hurdle, you don't hit your mark on that first hurdle, pretty much you're gone you know, in the sprint hurdles. It's, um, it is really, really critical.
0: Now you've got some good hurdlers in the in your stable, but uh, just watching the
3: hurdles, particularly sprint hurdles done properly, it's, it really is a joy to watch, isn't it? It is, and I love it. Um, when you when you see the you know, all the little technicalities of it, and the, th- the things when they're executing their race and their plan really well, it, it is it is a beautiful thing to behold. It really is. Um, probably remember Liz Clay running in Melbourne uh, last season and. I was actually fortunate she warmed up with us on the warm-up track and you could could just see that night she was on, you know, you really could and knew she was going to run well and and she just went out and smashed it, everything from the start right the way through the different phases of the race, um, she nailed it and it was uh, was a great thing to see. Well, talking about um, Coach's par excellence, she's certainly got one of the best, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sharon's Sharon's a star, she's been a star in our scene or the the world scene for a long time and really good good person too you know i um i'm lucky enough to have some contact with her you know not not contact weekly but every time i contact her she gets back to me and she's she's always been very sharing and, and helpful and yeah nah she's she's a real asset to us
0: yeah great person in the sport now we can wax lyrically about the hurdles all night long if you want uh, but Happy we want to wanna talk yeah we want to talk COVID 19 uh first off for you peter how have you had to change your training practices during the rec- – particularly with the most recent restrictions as we've gone into Stage 4? What's it meant for you and your squad?
3: Uh, yeah, we've had, to, we've had to modify things in many ways actually and, and it varies across the squad. Everyone's still working to a program of some sort. However, we were really fortunate out at Ringwood. We've got a great facility. We've got a really good gym. That's all uh, – the gym's been closed again. Um, so obviously we haven't got access to that a number of the the athletes i coach don't live within this 5k radius at the moment so i certainly haven't got uh well they haven't got access to our track we we were better organized this time for the shut in that we're able to distribute a lot of the equipment you know training hurdles mini hurdles cones the other bits and pieces that we really didn't get on top of for the first uh for that first lockdown but um even so yeah we've had to modify things and i say some people have the squad are really well equipped they uh, can have access to a track and they're really well disciplined and and for those guys honestly they haven't missed a beat it's, it's been more difficult some of the other guys though it's it's been far more testing some of them haven't got a track within 5k haven't got all the equipment hurtling on a, a muddy footy oval or a pavement or something just just isn't practical um, or not with any confidence so for those guys the we 've really had to improvise and and even as far as the, um, the the less technical stuff like our speed endurance sessions you know when you're on the track you've, you've got all your marks if you're running one 100. 150 200 etc you can just set that in your program with those guys we've we've had to change things around and, and they're now doing timed runs and, and and this sort of thing so it's um it's it the changes have been many and a lot of times you we really having to think on our feet and um, yeah, just things are coming up. Even now, it still coming up weekly. You know, if, um, that we've we've got to modify the program.
0: How are you finding you're having to adapt then as a coach? You know, what are, are you thinking on your feet, or your you, your planning has to be that uh, much more detailed?
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Again, it, it depends on some of the guys are, are really good. So we're we we use Strava anyway, but um, we're using Strava as an app for recording the sessions. Um, we have a group page, that we, again, we've always had for communications, but uh, the guys post their sessions on there wherever possible. They post their video directly to me so I can give them direct feedback. The guys I coach technically, you know, as far as the mechanics of the event, are pretty competent now. They know what feels right and what doesn't, and I've always believed in that, that they should be able to tell me what's happening um so they can keep a pretty close eye on what's happening what's going wrong what they need to change where they things they weren't quite hitting the mark or whatever but uh yeah just it's 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 very hard i've never been one of those for just overloading athletes with information I, i like the feedback from them so you know in the normal environment they have a run we talk about how they went what they felt and then i can give them any feedback from that but uh so it's been very much of you know, looking at the video where available checking the data and making sure they're not going too hard or, or not going hard enough perhaps and, and just giving them the feedback um, where required.
0: What's the camaraderie, camaraderie amongst the group been like though the, the mutual support has that also had to go to a new level?
3: Yeah it has isn't it? and that's one of the areas that the um, that group group pays that we have a group conversation that we have is is really effective and I encourage all the guys in the squad to get on there, whatever they're doing, post it, you know, if um, you know, if they're comfortable to post what hasn't gone so well or if they're looking for any feedback and what have you. And, you know, and there's different, it's not all, particularly with the boys, you know, it's not all, you know, love, love, love. There's a fair bit of sledging and banter in a normal session. Um, so you, you still, we still get that on the group page, which is good. We can all um, have a bit of a laugh about it. And uh, it's it's been a really important tool having that.
0: I can imagine the bloopers outtakes of some of the sessions would be pretty spectacular. Watch as well. Things don't go
3: (laughs) quite so well over the hurdles. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I've got a few of those filed away as well. That's all good.
0: Now you're in a technical event so for those of us who coach distance and you know sort of the less technical side of things it's not too bad we're, we're sort of winding our way through this but uh, with the technical event what are some of those and excuse the pun some of the additional barriers that you do face?
3: Yeah well yeah, obviously there are the barriers so there's the 10 barriers that we've got to get over in each race but um, the I think the, the biggest things there's a number of things one we would normally train, when we're training as a group, I can run athletes of similar ability together. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate there. So you're, you're almost simulating race conditions for every training session. When they're running on their own, it's hard for them to always hit those intensities. So again, you know, normally you, know, you can play with spacing, hurdle spacing or whatever, depending on the conditions and how the athletes are going. Um, that's very much down to the athlete at the moment. But as I say, the, the technical side for me is not such a big thing because the guys really do, I mean, the majority of the guys really do know what they're doing. With the younger guys who we wouldn't normally be taking back into the group until around this time of year anyway, and that's a much more how-to and the mechanics of how-to and it's a much more hands-on type of thing. So that, that I haven't had to cross that bridge yet, but um, that would be a far more difficult thing. You know, the, the guys, as far as the actual mechanics of hurdling, are all fairly competent. Now,
0: how are you personally coping not having a group at the moment and not having that regular interaction
3: oh, missing it terribly honestly've I've been coaching for around 20 years and it's it's obviously a big part of my life in the, when we're in the middle of the season I'm down the track either competing or trading five sometimes six days a week um, or six days and nights a week I've got a very understanding wife but um, I yeah you miss it no end you don't you don't realize just how much Part of your life it is, and until it's not there, like, you know, there's, you know, first world problems and all that. There's people facing it's bigger hurdles than, uh, than us, but yeah, no, I miss it terribly. And so it's, it's something being able to stay in touch with the group, and we're still, I'm still doing the programs and still having daily contact with most of them. But um, no, it's, it's been a big change in my life
0: and I think you speak on behalf of a lot of coaches there and particularly those coaches who might not have a massive support structure around them too, like you know a big family and things like that. Are you finding the the
3: athletes are reaching out to you to see how you're going? Yeah, a few of them have been great actually. And uh, for the first time, I've actually got a few projects done through around the home uh, through this period. So I've uh, had a bit of feedback on that and how that's all going. So no, it's, it's been good. They've yeah, uh, everyone. Look, I think everyone looks out for everyone else's welfare. They're all pretty good and pretty understanding. So, some some more than others, but uh, yeah, certainly plenty of them reaching out, seeing how I'm going, and uh, seeing what I'm up to, and and how things are working for me. I'm I'm fortunate as well. I'm still in full time employment, so my days, um, although I'm working from home, my days are pretty full. So. Um, I, I really pity anyone who was in that situation where they were out of work or in part-time work or something, and, and really had to fill their days. It would be uh, they'd be doing it far tougher than I am at the moment.
0: Now, for all of us too, Peter, the whole fact that uh, we don't still really know what's going to happen this summer—how is that weighing
3: in both on yourself and um, your group that you look after? Yeah, that's a that's a really tough one because even the guys who are really focused and and incredibly disciplined. I've actually asked the question, you know, why are we doing this? You know, why are we out there still working at this program, everything else? And, and, and my answer to that is, look, there's going to come a time when we're back out or we're out competing and all the work you're doing now, you're going to be paid back for. And, and that's really the only thing I can say to them, you know, just keep working, keep doing the right things wherever possible. You know, there's plenty of other things impacting on their training as well. I mean, the fact that, you know, Normally through this time of year, we're training under lights. So the guys are in full-time work or in full-time study. And by the time they're getting home, it's it's dusk. So it's very, very difficult to get out and, and do a te- any sort of technical session, again, with any confidence when you're, when you're working in poor light and all this sort of thing. So there's plenty of things we're having to, we're coming up against. And we've you know, we really just got to hang in there. And as one of the athletes, one of my athletes says, just just keep grinding for greatness. And, and that's all we can do. That's a really nice sentiment, actually, and I think uh, we'll
0: close on that. Peter Benefer, thank you so much for giving us your time.
3: Uh, Thank you, Tim. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Hello, Welcome to the AV Podcast.
4: Hi.
0: Good to have you on board. Now, Probably not a lot of people know much about your story because you're only 15. So it's not as if you've got a big media or a social media profile or anything like that. But as a little bit of background, you are a T38 cerebral palsy yes. uh, spastic uh, hemiplegia. Is yes. that correct? Do you want to explain what that means?
4: Um, so basically, that means that my muscles in my left side, predominantly in my left leg, are just tighter than they need to be. And sometimes they are too tight to the point where my leg is shorter than my other leg. So, yeah, it's basically, it's not um, severe, but it impacts my life um, enough for me to have a classification.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. Now you were 9 weeks prem with your twin sister, Jasmine. Yeah. And it I think it's about 50% of all prem babies uh go down the cerebral palsy path in some way shape or form. So, yeah, it's not common. Well, sorry, it is relatively common, yeah, but it's just yeah, something yeah. that yeah, no, it's, it's quite a high proportion uh do do then experience cerebral palsy as a side effect of prem uh, premature birth now you've been through the whole rigmarole of the casts the yep. botox injections the yep. hospital okay. stays the yep. the operations to to and basically what the operation's doing is just trying to loosen those muscles aren't they yeah. or just uh, snip them so that you get a greater range of movement
5: mm-hmm.
0: now you're impacted on the right side, left side
4: actually. Left so it's side, funny and because my twin sister has a right side hemiplegia, and so we always get confused. So, yeah,
0: yeah, I did notice that when I saw a photo of you. I think one was one way, one was the other. Yeah. Uh, which so that with your throwing though, because your left side impacted, you're a right hander, yes. Okay, so that's probably a good thing in some ways. So, yeah, it's, it's the left,
5: lucky. yeah.
0: Cool. Now, now, 2020, what we want to talk about here, Ella, is the fact that 2020 has been a a year like no other and even at the tender age of 15 you'd be knowing that full well how's the year in itself impacted you uh with your school and things like that because i know you were all geared up and really ready for nationals yeah. this year and that didn't go ahead so what, well first off how did you feel about that when it didn't go ahead
4: oh look i was pretty disappointed because i was supposed to be doing actually four events this time because um that's two more events than i've normally done because I was going to do the open power for both discus and shopper for the first time and I begged my dad to do it to like enter in it and he gave in and I was really excited to do it um and then it got cancelled and I was pretty pretty devastated so yeah I was just very unmotivated for a long time but I'm back on track now
0: It's been a bit of a common theme, Alice, so you're not uh, on your own there. How much nagging did Dad require to get him to bend on that one?
4: Well, for the discus, I'd already gotten the qualification mark and I was doing really well with the discus with the open weight. But with the shot put, Dad was like, you need to get 8 metres 50 to be able to throw at nationals in the open. And the the two weeks before... off of case of period.
5: Yep.
4: Um, I threw 840 or something so I was like really pushing to get 850 and then dad was like oh don't worry we'll empty you anyway um, and then it was cancelled anyway so it didn't matter.
0: How's school going? How are you adapting to online learning with school?
4: Um, school's all right. I found it quite nice, actually, for the first term that we did it in term two, the last term, um, because it gave me a lot of freedom. I was able to do my work whenever I wanted, so I could, like, do a couple classes and then go for a walk with my dog, which I'd never been able to do before, because I'm really so busy with training and homework and stuff, but I could get it all done whenever I wanted. I could do it at midnight if I wanted. I could do it at 9am, but it was just a lot of freedom and I really enjoyed that. Probably the downside was not being able to see my school friends or my teachers because um, I like talking to my teachers about things. If I have a question, it's much easier to just approach them and talk to them in person than have to email or message them. So that's been kind of difficult, yeah. Yeah.
0: Is Jasmine doing the same subjects as you and sort of along the same study path?
4: Well, Jasmine actually goes to a special school um, because she has an intellectual disability as well. Um, So her online learning has been a lot different, but she's had Zoom calls as well with her class and she's just been kind of doing work. Her teacher sends her and stuff, so she's been handling it as well, you know, probably better than me because she enjoys staying at home, lying in her bed more than me.
0: How how are mum and dad handling all of this as well?
4: Oh, look, my dad um, has been at his desk like most of his day. He's just in his study, doing his work, on calls. Um, But my mum works from home, so she's found this time kind of easier because – You know, she doesn't have to adapt really except for maybe helping us with work but it's not like she's had to suddenly work from home for the first time. She's already been working home uh, for like four years maybe. So, yeah.
0: So pretty much status quo for her. Now, with your training, yeah, we all know that it was tough when the decision uh, that Nationals was cancelled came through and I don't know a lot of uh, athletes just sort of, you know, through the towel in for a little while. But yeah. you said you've picked it up again. So what sort of training are you doing now, Ella?
4: Um, so I have a basement and I have a couple of dumbbells and weights and I have like a yoga mat. Um, so I've just been kind of doing random exercises I come up with. And I also have an exercise physiologist um, and she gives me like core exercises um, and she's been giving them to me ever since early last year. Um, and she's been really helping me to build my core strength and agility and balance, which you know were the areas I kind of lacked in. <laughs> um, so I've just been kind of doing her exercises she gives me and doing you know random things like squats and um, planks. I don't know it's just random things that come to my head. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I suppose that's a little bit of a positive then, Ella, because, you know, as you say, you're working on potentially some of your weaknesses. So this is in some ways a bit of an opportunity so that when we come out of this and into the hopefully the new season over 2020 and 2021, you could be, well, bigger, stronger, more sort of maybe quicker in the ring, things like that, Yeah. you need to be.
4: Well, I I took this time to really instead of, you know, getting down about, you know, because I took about two months two-month break from throws and everything, I wasn't down about, you know, losing all my, you know, I wasn't at the level I was before, right before Nationals. So instead of, you know, being down that I wasn't at the same level, I just took this opportunity to improve on errors that I normally avoid, like, you know, running or um, core strength, because I mean, I'm not very flexible. I don't really have a very strong core, but I guess it's stronger than before now.
0: Well, it certainly would be. Now, you used to do probably, what, three, four sessions a week with Gus Popolo, your coach down at Ringwood. You haven't been able to see him lately because of what's going on. Uh, first question for you, Ella, are you missing his jokes?
4: I am missing his jokes. He has the best jokes. Sometimes they're a bit inappropriate, but, you know, He's just such a funny guy. I really do miss him and, you know, the whole squad, I guess, because I haven't seen them at all since March. So, yeah, I'm missing him and his jokes and everyone down at Ringwood.
0: Yeah, look, it's a good club you're a part of, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Who's looking? Do you know much about the history of Ringwood as a club? Um
4: Gus has kind of told me a little bit, but I kind of forgot. All I know is that Kathy Freeman was there for a little bit. And um, yeah, I guess that's all I know.
0: Yeah, well, some other greats, you know, like Scotty Martin was there yeah. too, Ben Harradine, uh, and even Todd Hodgetts too. Yeah, you yeah. know, you'd see a lot of Todd Hodgetts. So, yes, yeah, a great history. Dave Colbert, probably another one too, you'd throw in the ring there. It's uh, a yeah, very good legacy at uh, the Ringwood Athletic Club.
6: Yeah. Now,
0: Apart from missing Gus, um, what are you missing about, you know, your friends at training and things like that?
4: I'm just missing, you know, the atmosphere. Everyone's so positive at Ringwood and uplifting and I miss just being around everyone because, you know, we were able to pinpoint different things like, you know, if I did something wrong in a throw, like my friends would be able to tell me, oh, you forgot to block or something, thing like that. I've missed having, you know, my friends and, you know, everyone in the Ringwood throw squad. Um, you know, helping me out and I can help them and learning new things from them and just sharing jokes. So, yeah, I basically miss everything from Ringwood training.
0: Well, hopefully we're not too far away from a resumption in some yeah. form training and then competition. Now, we touched a little bit on your family. You've got mum and dad at home and and also your sister. How important during this time has it been for you to have family around you?
4: Uh, Family has been pretty important to me during this lockdown because I got to spend much more time with them than ever before. I was pretty much doing six training sessions a week. Uh, for at least an hour, uh, probably in the couple of months, building up to nationals and I was plus I was going to school and doing homework and spending time with friends. So I was barely at home. Um, it's been encouraging to have my family with me during this time because it reassures me that we're all in this together and everyone has had disappointments and setbacks from corona. So it's great to have people surrounding you. You're all going through the same thing and in the same house, stuck together.
0: <laughs> yeah, you certainly are. They're very, very good words, actually, and very well spoken. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Just one more thing for you. Do you think you're going to come out of this pandemic a much more resilient person?
4: I think so, and I think everyone is, you know. It's built our resilience, like, as a whole, because I never thought I'd be able to survive this long, trapped in a house with my family, and nothing against them. But as a teenager, you know, we want to spend time away from our families. So, you know, it'll be an interesting story to tell when I'm older But I think everyone has gained something individually, um, whether that be, you know, a newfound confidence or new skills, like you could have learned how to play the guitar or something, or, you know, like me, I've built on my athletic skills, I guess, in certain areas that otherwise I never would have. Blink twice at,
0: yeah well Alahoes, you've certainly got a lot to look forward to i know this has been a tumultuous year for all of us but yeah. uh just listening to your resolve and dedication to the sport i think you know it's a name to be looking out for in the the world of you know paralympics world championships commonwealth games and we wish you well thank you Craig Wallace, Sport Delivery Manager at Athletics Victoria. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks for the invitation. Just give us a quick explanation of what your role is at Athletics Victoria.
6: Um, so Sport Delivery Manager basically is, the role basically entails looking after all competitions across Victoria. So everything from XCR to ABSL to assist in the um, specialist group. So obviously we take a larger role in some of those specialist groups such as um, high velocity, but Um, We do provide assistance for rare rare, air, any of the club meets. So, your Box Hill Twilight and obviously Milers, uh, AV throwers, we assist with as well. So, it's a wide, large breadth of um, competitions that we look after at AV. Certainly. Is what was your background before coming into athletics and
0: what's your interest in athletics?
6: Um, So, prior to being involved at AV, I was at um, a TAC. Club, so Sandringham San Dragons. So I was there for I think it was about six years. as um, started off just as an assistant football manager um, and I ended up being their footy ops manager for, yeah, three years before I thought, not time to try something different. Prior to that, or prior to joining AV, probably didn't have a lot of interest in athletics other than the, the usual ones, which is when Com Games rolls around and Olympics. So um, it was a very steep learning curve within the first six months, trying to get my head across all the different events and obviously the different types of athletes in track and field and cross country. But um, since being involved, love athletics, obviously you get very deep and learn a lot of information that you probably don't when you're external athletics. But being involved in the, the state sport and organization has been really interesting for me as well. Being in club land initial, I think has been held me in good stead, trying to communicate what we need to get through to clubs as well as individuals that um, if you've only been in a state sporting organization, you probably don't experience as much.
0: It's certainly a complex role. Craig uh, and for those who aren't aware of what competitions do I think you've sort of wrapped it up quite nicely it's very diverse we're in a very diverse sport too because track and field in itself is so many different disciplines and then you throw on top of that cross country and also race walking Uh, you're quite heavily involved also with the AWDs or the paras with the um, classifications and also the the point scoring tables so there's a little bit to it isn't there
6: There is. I think when you come into athletics, you you think it's pretty simple. But once you get into it, you realize it's probably about 20 different sports all rolled into one that you need to to manage throughout the weekend and try to provide the best opportunity for all those athletes, especially when you get to a a championship where you've got so many different disciplines running at the same time. You don't want to disadvantage anyone, but unfortunately you have to try to do what's best for, for everyone and sometimes it does affect certain groups. Yeah,
0: I think opportunity is the key word there and providing great opportunity to all participants is what we do try to do. Now, moving towards, let's talk a little bit about the current situation. With the AV, oh, sorry, the XCR season now officially written off, how frustrating do you find it to be continually planning for things just to find that it doesn't go ahead?
6: Uh, I, th- I think everyone would understand it's very frustrating. I think we probably worked through about five or six different calendars um, as further... Um, details about the restrictions came through and when they were going to ease and what we we're going to be able to do so um, I think everyone was aware that we pretty much had a schools competition up ready to go and we unfortunately had to pull that a week out so I know they need a calendar we probably did that for about three or four different events as well that we had about six or seven di- different iterations of how we we're going to roll it out um, to ensure safety for all the athletes as well as the officials and hopefully we're going to get some spectators through as well to support the kids. But, yeah, it's, it was a very difficult situation and unfortunately at this stage we won't be able to hold any XDR um, just due to the current restrictions. But hopefully we're looking forward to a, a bigger and better Xcr 21.
0: I've sort of felt quite sorry for you guys in sport delivery because a lot of what I do actually has outcomes, you like doing the podcast or doing coaching courses. But for you guys it's continually planning, 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 nothing and that must weigh you down after a little
6: while it definitely does build up but i think being able to do that will hold us in good stead for say track and field where we've got some processes that we can kind of carry across to avsl and to championships which i think the biggest thing you just have to keep being positive about and going cool yep, yeah, unfortunately XTR hasn't gone ahead but we'll be able to use that for other events and i know that some of that information was passed to other states so um, and they were able to use it when they first started their competition. So there definitely was some positives to come out of all the work, but it is disappointing when you put in the work and you don't actually experience the positivity out of what you've put together. Yeah, exactly.
0: Now, how important is the support from the AV management team, the AV committee, been in getting you through this whole thing?
6: Uh, uh definitely very very important so um av committee has been very supportive of the whole av team um and being very transparent through through glenn and the senior management in regards to where our roles are sitting obviously being very strong about trying to keep us all together so that once the restrictions do ease up that we can get back out there and and get competition rolling quickly for, for everyone so being yeah very very happy with how they've supported the team and um, probably not any of them, each member of the AV team and even the AV community as a whole have been very supportive of where we are at the moment as an organisation and it's great to see that some athletes are still signing up for memberships and supporting, supporting AV so that we can get the ball rolling as soon as restrictions do lift.
0: Now as a team we haven't physically seen each other now since uh, early March because we had the Grand Prix lockout first before COVID hit. How do, you, do you look forward to the Tuesday catch-ups and the social things which you've been pivotal in, in organising? Does that help keep that bond between the, the team members?
6: It definitely does help. So I know that there's a few chats that are going on. We had a bit of a fun Friday night just gone past where we did family feud as a, as a team and obviously involved Little Athletics. Um, looking down at one athletics or one sport but obviously we're in the same office so we're aware that they're probably missing us as much as we're missing them um, in regards to the office banter so being able to have those chats and just social catch-ups on zoom or um, just a quick phone call or even our tuesday whole meetings where we've got a bit of a quiz to go on at the end just to to lighten the mood and just have that chat um, is really important to keep ticking through these these tough times, especially living alone at the moment. Um, any social interaction is good social interaction.
0: Now we're all constantly on a learning path and you in particular with what you've had to do in response to COVID-19, you, know, you have had to take in quite a lot, but what are some of your major learnings that are coming out of this?
6: Well, I think personally I think it's, it's been really good. I've always been into team sports, so I've played basketball pretty much my whole life. So that was been my outlet, especially when I've had a bit of stress. It was a good way to get that stress out. So I've had to identify other ways. So I've actually started doing some running, which um, has made me realize how good these XCR runners are, but obviously find other things as well. So I've been started to do sketching and other outlets, which... I probably wouldn't have been able to experience or had the time to experience if we didn't have this much of a lockdown and this much time to ourselves. So um, that personal level has been really good. But obviously there's been a lot of learnings in regards to to sport management and how we have to roll out competitions and how we may need to change that going forward to make it smoother for, for athletes, um, especially in these COVID times and, and social distancing. So there's been some personal learnings but obviously some really important organisational learnings as well that we can process through for, for future seasons.
0: Now, you're a relatively young guy who's just uh, jumped into the deep end by purchasing and moving into your own home. When you look you know, at the current situation we are in with stage four and you know the uncertain times coming out, what are your sort of feelings towards the future? Are you optimistic? Are you a bit hesitant? You know, just what are you feeling right now about this whole situation?
6: I think I'm a pretty positive person in general. Um, not much usually gets to me. So it's been a bit interesting probably this, this time has been a little bit more where I've I've actually felt it. But overall, I'm being pretty positive about it all and how we'll roll out. Um, and that's not just from AV point of view, that's just general population. Um, I think that as much as we probably had some struggle there where we went to stage two or stage three and people were probably not doing the right thing, I think this has really settled everyone down and I think there's been a lot of positivity out there and support for people um, which other times i think there's been a lot of a negative type of feedback or negative feeling out there um, i think this last lockdown has been pretty positive and, and yet i think coming out of it i think everyone's just going to be really enjoying the company of other people and should be good hopefully <laughs> yeah totally agree craig wallace thank
0: you so much for your time
6: no problem thanks tim
0: alice mcgui welcome you're a physio. Do you want to just give us a little bit of background about uh, the physio type of work you're doing?
5: Absolutely. Okay. So traditionally, I'm a musculoskeletal sort of therapist, which means that all of my care is designed around sort of just your joint muscle tissue sort of strains. I've done a lot of work with some athletes um, running and gymnastics is sort of my area or my niche area. But more recently, um, I have moved a lot more into the Pilates and sort of movement therapy side of physio, traditionally using reformer and equipment in the clinic. And of course, more recently, uh, much more mat work and much more online sort of area of uh, physio, which has been a great learning curve for me and sort of broadened my skill set a little bit.
0: Okay, so what has the on-again, off-again nature of the restrictions meant for you and your profession?
5: Um, Yes, so traditionally, as as I guess everyone would know, physio is very much a hands-on, it's very tactile, you're right up in people's grill checking their shoulders and that sort of stuff. Um, And we were lucky enough as a profession in the very first lockdown um, to be considered essential where we basically carried on as normal but just with a lot more precautions in terms of, sanitisation and gloves if necessary and that sort of thing but with the second lockdown that's I think with everyone and everything has really started to hit home and it's very much now only really acute care that's sort of deemed to be a necessary service so most of us have very much moved to telehealth or online services which I was very sceptical about initially, I must admit. We're very handsy sort of people, if that's, um, I don't know, appropriate to say, but it, it's the way we always learn. It's the way we work out what people's conditions are. And to sort of be stepping back in front of a camera is, is, has been a huge learning curve. But there have been silver linings. Well,
0: over the last four months, what have you observed with the exercise routines of the people that you're regularly treating? How are they responding? Are things changing? Uh, are people adapting?
5: Yeah, it's actually been very interesting. So I think uh, there's been two extremes that I have really noticed, especially in the first lockdown um, when people changed their behaviours quite significantly. I think we're sort of riding on through um, just a little bit more extreme in this lockdown, but the very first lockdown I was seeing so many people taking up running. It was like every second person was like, I'm going to run a marathon at some point, I'm going to get a 10K PB, I can't do any of my gym work, I'm going to start running. So I was getting lots of lower limb injuries um because of that acute spike in training load that people were sort of just getting a little bit carried away a bit excited it was a new zest for um for their you know maybe they'd been a runner before and they sort of got back into it and then the other sort of end of the spectrum quite interestingly and I guess not surprisingly is the people were working more from home and they were working from bed they were working from questionable desk setups they were on their ipad sort of lying on the floor and so I was getting lots of spinal postural sort of injuries that I still get normally, but there was much more of them
0: yeah I can imagine I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it and probably when I look at my own homework situation too I'm in the, in the same yeah lying on the couch with the uh, the laptop isn't the best way or the best form of posture uh, another thing I noticed too though that a lot of the runners that I was in contact with uh, had probably more time to do some of the extra little bits and pieces Were you finding that was the case too that because the transport times or you know commute times are down people might have been doing more of the one percenters
5: that's actually a really good point In fact. Yeah, compliance to sort of pre- and post-run um, exercise regimes and prescriptions that I would normally think would probably have, you know, maybe a 30% success rate. You're probably right. I didn't actually track this, but objectively it would have been nice to have seen a training load sort of um, just to view what people were actually doing in terms of I had a lot of requests for, you know what, I'm going to try and get a little bit faster. Can you give me some exercises for some plyometrics? Or, you know, I want to do a little bit more trail running, but I'm really worried about my ankles. So I'm going to start rehabbing my ankles, for example, and that sort of thing, um, which which I hadn't got before. So, yeah, that's that's definitely changed. Um, but,
0: but there was definitely in that first lockdown a view that people, some people were definitely overdoing it, weren't they?
5: Absolutely, yeah. And And basically I'd have people that were, from couch to sort of 10K a day sort of thing was one of my clients that I'm thinking of. Um, So huge, extreme changes in behaviour. And I think too, some people were unfortunately out of work and that's another thing. So they'd thrown themselves into a new hobby, a new passion that was making them sort of happy and then just not having a lot more time and then sort of thinking, right, well, I'm just going to run all the time and I've got more time in the afternoon, I'll go again. Perhaps doing doubles that they hadn't done before, and you do you do start to see the Achilles and the plantar fascias and the knees and stuff um, more and more regularly.
0: Now, can you see permanent changes to the delivery of your services post the pandemic?
5: I definitely can. So, a um, bit of a, a long story, but I've actually ended up resigning from my clinical role, um, and because of the COVID nineteen change, I've actually changed my entire work platform which so i've gone i've just launched a new online membership which which is not something that you see often in physio and um, it's it's very much a rehab exercise based clinical software that i've worked pretty hard on and it's encompassing everyone from sort of geriatric sort of over 70s to some athletes I've got some nice little runners coming through and then people that have never done sort of exercise or rehab in their lives before but they've had these chronic injuries and I think um, movement medicine is is definitely something that I'm pretty passionate about and although the hands-on side of things is still very important this is sort of an area that I'm trying to uh, make a crack of and I've I've had some nice positive feedback which is Really exciting. So I don't know, to be honest, how it'll go once things open up properly again. But for now, it's it's been quite busy, and yeah, I've had a good little response to it.
0: So in essence, COVID nineteen's changed your direction.
5: One hundred percent. And to be honest, I I think that for me, it has been a silver lining in that in a work environment for me in that I've discovered things that I never would have before. And I would have never have thought I could have been an effective practitioner, which is what I like to think that um I would offer uh, without actually coming in contact with people. But I think there is a market for the exercise medicine. Um, and and I think too with the moment, people are are just loving being instructed and just kind of getting out of their own heads as well and just being like, I trust this person. She's going to tell me to move in a good way. She's going to push me a bit. I'm going to get a bit hot and sweaty in some cases. And, yeah, it's been fairly well received.
0: If you cast your mind back 12 months, Alice, would you have even contemplated or dreamt that this would be your situation in in August, you know, 2020?
5: Absolutely not. There is no chance. I was very much the opposite. So sometimes I was within three locations a day so I'd be in three separate clinics, which is completely not something feasible that you do given our small radius and not leaving home. I was doing, you know, lots and lots of hands-on treatment, just grinding away with the physio, which, which I did love and it was, was working. And I was doing lots and lots of classes, um, which were all very much one-to-one. And to be honest, I never even sat in front of my laptop unless I was doing clinical notes, and in which case I'd get them done and I wouldn't look back at it. Whereas I'm sort of now sometimes at midnight, editing videos and sort of catching up with feedback from clients and, you know, this, this IT world has blown my mind and I'm not naturally skilled here. So it's, it's amazing to see how much you can sort of fake it till you make it in terms of the, the technology.
0: Well, apart from finding some fairly outrageous active wear in your wardrobe, <laughs> personally, personally, what's been the major impact on you from all of this as opposed to professionally? What personally have you found has been the big impact from COVID-19?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. I think personally, I I think it's actually really made me, I know know a lot of people have said this, but it's really made me reassess the way I run my life. I think as a physio, we're naturally very appointment-based people. So you've got 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, and you're on a routine and a regime from 6 a.m. into the morning into the evening and and you just you just do and you book and you kind of if you get a little bit of a spare minute to yourself you think well how can else can I be working or be doing something else fitting things in whereas now with this extra time and this kind of bizarre time frame where you're like is it 8am is it 8pm i don't even know it, it's kind of really opened up i guess the way i approach life in general not always having to be on a mission in a time slot on a schedule i think it's um, yeah. I think I think I I guess like everyone probably did it to slow down a little bit, and it gives you a chance to look at where you're at and go, hang on, I'm going to try opening this door and see what's behind it, and a little bit sort of a uh, Narnia-esque in my case in terms of online was there, and it's sort of been working very well.
0: Now we'll wrap this up. You can. Give the business a plug, Alice. I didn't realise you'd gone into a new business, so there's a great opportunity to get out to the AV people and let us, you know, just let us know what the business name is and how people might be able to get into contact with you. Oh,
5: stunning! Yeah, so I, I have a um a new business platform which is is very much either rehab or athletic focused Pilates and online exercises, and it's it does have physio on there as well. So you know, people that have injuries and that sort of thing. That's it's got that little portal as well and in fact what I might even do is I I might even send you a link and um I can shoot it your way and um it'll be I can put a few free classes on there and if anyone wants to try it um I'd love to have you just rolling around on the mat doing some fun stuff um and if people have a bit more time at the moment I'm probably I think they might enjoy it a little bit
0: certainly all right we'll put that into the show notes Alice so thanks so much for giving us your time
5: stunning all right thanks so much for having me Tim
0: Matt Rizzo, 2017 store gift winner. How does that – are you a bit tired of being introduced as that? Is there more to Matt Rizzo than just being this 2017 store gift winner?
7: Yeah, like definitely it's, it's nice to hear every now and then. But, yeah, sometimes it does get a bit tiring, but sometimes it brings back a lot of memories for me, so it's good as well.
0: Yeah, well, you're still involved in that scene as well, and and obviously you, you've done very well, and your squad does well, and it's it's a real highlight of the year. Obviously, the trip to stall in particular. Uh, but your background in athletics goes a long way back from that, doesn't it? Do you want to give us a little bit of an intro, Matt, on you know where you started and how you started?
7: Yeah, so I started, I think, little apps in under twelve. I'm pretty sure. So I didn't do any athletics before that. I just did school athletics and this and that, and I was just running and. Uh, I had one of the teachers one day at the school was like, oh, you can actually run a bit. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't mind at this and that. And he goes, oh, I really think you should get a- athletically go. Um, so mum had a rule that there was like no sports to be done over like winter or summer or anything like that. Like I didn't do too many. I only picked one. So I just kept begging her. I was like, I want to do athletics. I want to do athletics. I want to do athletics. And she said, well, I'll make a deal with you. If we do athletics, you can't miss one single competition or one sat- um, single Saturday um and yeah from there that's pretty much when my career started didn't miss one and i think she i think she was hoping i'll probably i don't know maybe missed a couple because you should then get a sleep in on the Saturday. but then um yeah kicked off from there went to under 12s like state champs and i think i won the well, I was state champion under 12s with the 200 um and then ended up injuring myself in hip flexor took a couple years off and then
0: came back into the sport at the age of 14. Your mum was there in twenty seventeen at stall, though she would have been it would have been a good moment for her, wouldn't it? Yeah, she was absolutely stoked. Like she knows how bad. Like I wanted it and uh I was pretty dedicated that year, so I think it was fantastic for her to see, um, see me cross the line. Now you're based down at Lang Warren, so you're sort of at the top end of the Morning Peninsula you're with the yeah, Morning correct. Peninsula Athletic Club, yep. uh, which has got a nice little sprint program going at the moment, we must say. You yes, must be definitely. happy with the way all the boys are trooping along under Coach Carter. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's talk a little bit more about uh, current circumstances. So how are you finding that lack of certainty about competition now impacting your motivation?
7: Yeah, look, I'll be honest, it, it is really hard, um, and I'm probably not the only athlete that's thinking this as well. Like, it, It's hard to be able to have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, do do your prehab before you go to training, and then get out in the pouring rain and the cold and still do speed work, still do lactic work. Um, and get the sessions in when you don't know whether you're going to be able to compete at the end of the year or what um, the season is going to entail?
0: None of us really know at the moment. I know that the boys at AV are certainly looking hard at uh, what the season might be, and there's calendars being composed at the moment as we speak, and yeah. there's certainly the intent to return to competition, but, but when and how are sort of out of our control until we come out of this current stage. There's no doubt about that. But with the current limitations around physical activity, What's changed with your current training regime? Look, training hasn't
7: changed too much. The days are still in there, so it's like five days a week. But obviously, obviously because we can't have a massive group, it's gone down to individual training. Some of us are lucky that um, in the squad, they're within the 5Ks of each other, so they're they're able to train each other with each other, just the two people. Um, but unfortunately, in my case, I'm by myself, so it's just kind of individual sessions. And I think it's really like just... Really being connected with my coach, Matt Carter, sending videos back to him and really breaking down how each session went and just my opinion is like any session is better than no session at all, but it is it is definitely tough at the moment.
0: So what's the communication with Matt like at the moment and how are you sort of delivering your information to him and how is he getting the feedback to you?
7: Look, I'm pretty lucky. He, both of us work at Bunnings Frankston. So we work with each other on, on Monday, so we can discuss. We normally discuss then. But um, for me, I've really been sending videos to him. Um, we've been on the phone after most most sessions. Um, but we've been doing. I know I've been training with him since I was like 14, so we've been doing it for a fair few while. So he knows what I what I can do and what I can't do, and so he's pretty comfortable with me doing my sessions by myself.
0: Is it true that you just went up to him in Buddings one day when you were, to, were a 14-year-old and say, you're Matt Carter, can you coach me?
7: Yeah, pretty much. So It, it was it, it was along the lines of that. So I was pushing trolleys at the stage and, I don't know, I just recognised him and I was going to walk away, but I was like, no, nah, I don't think I need to need say something to him. I was, and that's when I said, are you Matt Carter? Um, and then, yeah, we kicked off ever since.
0: How did you know his reputation or who he was?
7: I don't know. I think it was one time I was down at a athletics carnival down at Frankston. Um, and someone else pointed out to me, I think Maddie was running, that was like, oh, that's Matt Carter. Um, he's a, a pretty quali- um, pretty good runner, this, that. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I, I watched him run. I think it was the 200 that day. I'm not too sure. It could have been 100. But yeah, and I was just, it, I don't know, it was just one of those people that kind of just like
0: imprinted on your brain he tends to do that doesn't he yeah, uh, in the uh, current situation you know there's a lot of doom and gloom there's no doubt about that and you know as we keep saying and it's been a theme through this podcast that you know stage 4 is not good for many people. There's a lot more restrictions on us, and and there's that sort of sense that we're over this. And you know, stay. The first time we went into uh, stage two, I think it was, it was a bit of a novelty, uh, but stage four is just a bit of a pain in the backside. But do you see any silver linings coming out of this, Matt? Is there anything anything positive that you're finding during this period that you know personally you're getting out of the the current situation?
7: Yeah, I think there is a few positives. Like obviously, if you look at it at a whole. To- bit of a negative with the season up in the air but positives that I think with each individual athlete especially me it's given me time to I don't know really explore myself and grow as a person and find things outside of athletics that I really enjoy and working on skills like that but um, I, I don't know I, I think it's going to be a very special time once we're out of this pandemic and stage four I think you're going to see a lot of athletes do really well because it, it really does help you like motivate and have that attitude to be like Let's actually get the job done even though we're under um, the current restrictions.
0: Yeah, it's a really good test of resilience, isn't it? And as we know, resilience is one of the key attributes that a good athlete should have. So how are you finding your resilience through this, particularly as we've gone into Stage 4?
7: Yeah, look, at the start I was, I was pretty much like I said to Matty, I was struggling a little bit um, and I was like, oh, you know, I don't really want to get, like, I don't really want to continue, like, is there any point to keep going? Because obviously the season last year, I was having an awesome season and it got cut short and I felt like with the stage four and everything going on, I was like, oh, well, what's any point anymore because it's, it's going to get cut short again. I'm not going to have the opportunities. But um, I don't know, I've sat down and really do a little bit of like personal growth and lately I've been training really,
0: really well and I've just been getting out there and getting the sessions done no matter what. You did have a good start to 2022, and I think that uh, in talking to another one of the athletes on the podcast, it was exactly the same, that there was this sort of build, build, build through you know, January, February, March to PB form, which is where you were at in, yeah. in uh, March of this year when you ran the 1034. So was that a bit of a, a kick in the guts, though, that you couldn't go to Nationals? Yeah, it was an absolute huge kick in the guts because the
7: year before at Nationals, my season was going a little bit up and down, like ran a PB and my body just didn't recover in time and went to nationals and broke down there. So I never really got the opportunity to just, I know, late down on the track and I was in PB form and like leading into this year and yeah, it would have been exciting to see what I actually could have run. So it was a major kick to
0: the guts. Because I suppose, you know, one of the, the things, being an 18-year-old winner of the store gift, you know, what do you do from where Where do you reset the sights after that matt that's you know something i'm really fascinated with you know it's a bit different to winning it say at the yeah. the tail end of your career but you were young when you won it where do you go from there yeah look
7: it, it honestly after i won stall it was actually pretty hard for me to keep motivating myself because i don't know for a year i set my heart on it and i don't know i climbed the mountain and i was like well you know what where do i really want to go from here but I've always had the I've always had the motivation and came back to me to be like I I really want to represent the country in the Olympics whether you know that's an individual spot which is a really hard task to achieve but um even to represent in, in a relay like a four by one either a, a Olympic Games or a Commonwealth a World champs like it's something that I've, I've really wanted to do for so long so um that's where all my focus is heading
0: at the moment. Australian sprint stocks aren't too bad at the moment, too, are they, Matt? Do you think that's a it's a real bonus for you that yeah you know, it is so competitive to sort of break into that top four or top six to try and get a relay spot?
7: Yeah, well, I think it's absolutely fantastic that like the the depth that we have, especially in the male sprinting, and same as the females, they're going, uh, they've got a really quality field as well. But yeah, the males, it's awesome to be able to you know put your box down down against like Jack Hale, you got Ryan Browning, and all every, all the boys just pushing each other to to the absolute best. It it brings up the competition and then hopefully that flows on to like, you know, bringing down the four-by-one relay team like time and hopefully contest for a medal.
0: Now, at the age of 21 at the moment, you've obviously got uh, a couple of Olympiads cycles still in you. So when do you sort of see, you know, yourself peaking or maturing as a top quality 100-metre runner?
3: Look, uh,
7: I think it's hard. It, everyone's different. Like, you know, you've got like Kim Collins that, you know, He's over 30, he's still running fast. Like Everyone's different. But I'd say for me, like, yeah, if I get to go to Tokyo this year or like next year or whenever it is, um, it'd be an absolute bonus for me. But my main goals for me is definitely like 2024. I think it's in Paris, if, if I can recall. Um, and I yep. definitely think that's when I'm going to really
0: start hitting the straps um, of my career. But we've also got that really lovely lure now of the, the World Relay Champs too, which I reckon it's one of the best products World Athletics has got. Yeah, definitely.
7: That's definitely now, something that's on the cards I, think I, I that we'll probably try and
0: get to as well. Yeah, I, I think just the buzz and the fact that it is just relays only, I think that makes for a really good sort of, you know, competition. Now let's just finish off um, – Last question for you. How much are you missing the physical interaction with your coach and the squad? Yeah, a lot. I'm um, someone that
7: really thrives off that. Like, I'm a, I don't know. I'd say I'd say am the very energetic one of the crew, and I know that I'm not the only, like, I'm not the only one that's struggling. But it, it is really big. Like, you know, having to put your blocks down for, and do two forty meter blocks is really hard by itself. Like, it's nice to have other people there, like, physically pushing you, um, and just to have a joke around and. You know, get you up and about. Whether you've had a bad day, you can go to training and you can, you, you see your mates there, this and that, and you can joke around and uh, uplift your spirit. So it it is like, it is hard not seeing them, but obviously it's not going to be forever either. Well, that's right.
0: Matt Rizzo, thank you so much for your time. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Six different perspectives from six individuals that are involved in the sport in different ways. Sean, what are the major themes came out of it from you?
1: um i I felt like in the the portions I listened to um it was interesting to get that insight on probably the things we would take for granted in technical events um, in terms of the access you might have to equipment um, or venues or those sorts of things but at the same time you know each of those technical event groups are dealing with it at the same time in that they are forced to adapt so I think if anything it sounds like it's renewed um sort of the clarity of communication and and those sorts of strong coach-athlete relationships within a group in that you don't, you know, it's not as if you don't sort of have a choice or really, there's no sort of two ways about it. You you have to adapt.
0: Yeah. So, you know, a few key words I want to throw out at you too, Sean. First one that sort of struck home to me from a few of them was frustration. And frustration came in a few different ways. One of the primary ones was first up in the first lockdown with the, the cancellation of national champs. And that certainly hit home with quite a few athletes and coaches, didn't
1: it? Yeah. And and I think we've discussed in other podcasts that for some people, it was a, a bit of a blessing in disguise. Uh, but, you know, that take on the postponement and eventual cancellation is that there was still a large portion of people who did feel like they were in really good shape Um, and, of course, were very much
0: looking forward to the event. Well, that's right. And was it was going to be a stepping stone for a few. And, you, you know, you look at Rizzo and people like that and Mendes, they were really on the build towards it. And also, you know, Ella Hose, as you said, she was really excited about getting into four events and going into the open ranks for the first time at the age of 15. So, you know, opportunity lost. And, and what we saw then too from from quite a few of them was that just throwing hands up in the air and say, so, well, what do we do now? And And fortunately, I think through some good coaching and good family support, they all navigated their way through that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, Pete Benefer touched on that a bit as well. In that, what um, those those situations are, pro- are probably individualized as well. In that, some of his group coped really well and just you know took care of their own day to day training, and, and others did feel like they needed some time off and and did sort of lose sight of what they might have been working toward to, given the the goalposts had got moved back to such a possibly indefinite time period.
0: Yeah, but in the end, that's probably not a bad thing for a few of them too. They probably needed that little break mentally and physically just to sort of reset and then head into the next phase. But the next phase has been plagued as well. I think the on-again, off-again nature of the restrictions in Victoria has certainly Uh, hit home and to me that was another high level of frustration just as uh, we seem to be coming out then as we know through July the numbers just got worse and worse and then stage four got uh, slapped on us which was much more um, difficult to deal with than uh, stage two or three
1: yeah and I think everyone's yeah (laughs) the sort of saying that everyone's everyone's hell is relative in the sense that whilst uh, you know, something to other parts of the community that might seem as frivolous or as, or as relevant as sport uh, for some people is really a, a central structure to their day-to-day and, and often gives them a, a fair bit of uh, positivity or a, or a sort of point of meaning um, within their activities. And when that gets taken away or, or not necessarily taken away, but you don't have a, a clear and defined objective to be working towards when you've been in that mindset for so long, um, I think it's natural to understand that people are going to really struggle to cope with that initially and then maybe there's, there's some positive life lessons sort of down the track that, that pop up out of that in, in being forced to adapt.
0: I also found Kat Mendes' attitude towards routine or her awakening to what routine was required to get her back on track. I found that really, well, it struck home for me too, because I found that my routine just got right, what well, still is right out and it's all over the place. How are you finding that too, Sean, that, that lack of routine?
1: Yeah, I, I found myself agreeing with what um, Kath said about, um, especially, you know, the, the time, something as simple as what time you might go to bed um and i know for us you know especially given you know everyone's working sort of virtually um you know you you probably do have that flexibility to work at different times or work at different hours or whatever it may be but um i think at the same time we are sort of forcibly creatures of habit um and you do find yourself feeling you know something that's a bit novel at first you start to feel a bit off after a while and that you know you're creeping around in the Midnight hours, or you're you're up really early for whatever reason, um, and sometimes just setting yourself uh, smaller tasks or a set time to be awake, and even if that is well before you might start work, it it does give you time to, you know, do something that's a little bit more hobby based or um, something a little bit more entertainment based, and and that just sets your day off on a on a pretty good note. So it was interesting to hear, even from her perspective, you know, as a as a pretty early days uni student and uh, and an athlete that. Those themes sort of
0: um, continued. Also, preparation was important, wasn't it? And I think you know, Peter Benefit touched on this. Also, uh, Matt Rizzo, just going into the first stage, things probably might not have been done all that well. We'd we'd never been through this before, so just organising equipment and those sort of things, and and uh, trying to get you know the the timetabling of training. But stage four was a, a whole new. Uh, Ball game and people seem to be more prepared, or had you know, probably a little bit of time to get prepared to get ready for this one.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, a double-edged sword for some of those high-performance athletes, in that for some of those athletes, it was a positive in that they, you know, their progression had probably been yearning out for a more consistent block. Um, and you know, you, you talked to a lot of athletes who said, "Well, you know, the last time I trained this consistently for winter, or, or the last time I had a training block this consistent, um, I competed really, really well coming out of it." Um, but at the same time, especially for some of those sprints and shorter events, they sort of lose that that contextual marker in you know being on a track and and maybe um, depending on your equipment or your your spaces near your house, you know you, you might not really have been able to as readily measure out your own sort of makeshift track. Um, and especially for some of those faster folk, that's a that's a frustrating point of reference to lose. Um, but it sounds like it has forced those training groups into. Maybe focusing on more general um, training approaches, which I think, as we've heard, some of those athletes found that quite refreshing. Um,
0: yeah, and you know, it was things like um, Captain was saying too about not being able to do the beach sessions and you know things that would be a basis for their their winter training, and that that stuff's now sort of gone or will be brought in as a later phase.
1: Well, even that most major part that seemed to echo through um, all of the athletes that we spoke or that you spoke to was that. Whilst, you know, um, unavoidably it's it's an individual sport, um, they all echoed that sentiment that they missed even some of the non-athletic related elements of their group, just, you know, the general, probably the chit-chat that you take for granted in turning up to training um, or or some of the humorous elements of training that come out of a particular drill or a a rep or, you know, a type of session and that we really do take those for granted in that week-to-week space. Um, And when you have to do absolutely everything by yourself um, yeah, it's a, it's a long time to spend in your own head.
0: It was sort of a theme that I was uh, throwing at them too, was that human connectivity, I suppose, and uh, the way I'd structured it, they'd sort of had a couple of questions that I'd prepared for them, but I always hit them with a last question that they didn't know was coming, and that was usually more on that that um, that human connect or the you know the other things you know impacting on their lives and things that they were probably missing or were having to adapt to not to doing without.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think you know. In that we do hear a lot of these themes often, and I know we have had a, f- a fair bit of COVID, you know, related content in all walks of our life or, or media intake. I think, especially for the athletic community, when you hear people that you have spoken to before, or you hear people that you can so readily identify with, um, maybe it does provide us. Um, solace of sorts in, in the own frustrations or um, adaptations that we've had to make as well. Um, and that sounds like it's, it's similar whether you're, um, you know, a recreational athlete, a coach or someone that's at the, the tippy top sort of high performance end. Um, there are similarities across the board and, and I think, you know, hopefully everyone comes out the other side of it, um, maybe even internally more appreciative of the, the sport they get to be involved with in that week to week.
0: Well, I think one of the key things about that, though, is the resilience that was being shown. It was a word that was used quite often. And, you know, the key is here that uh, it is the toughness and the strength of these athletes and individuals, coaches, uh, sports professionals like Craig Wallace. We have to show resilience through this in order to come through the other side.
1: Yeah. And, and I think people hopefully gain a, a bit more of an understanding of, of how in depth um, Craig's role is. I know he, you know, would be the first person is to hear the conversation away from it. But you and I, um, and I know this will sound cliche to everyone that hears it, but he's genuinely a guy that, you know, is at work quite early, often leaves work very late um, and is, you know, can be a bit of a one-man band at times to ensure those not so exciting but very important tasks get done to ensure all the events are able to run. Um, And, you know, I'd imagine it would be a really frustrating time for him in that, you put just as much if not more detail into these new events you're planning because there are so many sort of biosafety um, committees and so on that you have to get things approved by and then to, you know, to run things so far up the chain and, and to not have events approved or to have them postponed or cancelled, um, you know, it, it has been impressive to see that he's remained pretty motivated throughout um, and, and continued to, to have things ready to go as, as immediately as possible.
0: He's lucky too to have a good team around him I think with um with Ross and Andrew and Nathan McConkey it's a it's a really bonded little grouping there in sport delivery and I think we're very very lucky in Victoria to have them.
1: Yeah, I think Craig's a guy that would you know say he's he's been guilty of um failing to um failing to delegate topics uh, or tasks a little bit in the past. He he sometimes gets a bit trapped in in doing absolutely everything. Um but it has been good to see him you know maybe take a little bit of time to just identify what needs to be done in this newer period where the, the time restrictions maybe aren't as um here's and as under the pump as week to week um and actually get a bit of help
0: <laughs> now let's just go through some of the individuals that we did talk to or we'll, you know start off the the top We've we've with- Catherine Mendes. One of the big things I got out of her was that whole change of mentality and a very mature response to. And I I think that you know having the coach Elwyn Jones that she does have would help that as well. But that whole thing about slowing the progression down—that they know that you know we're in this for the long haul—and she's still going to have a season at some stage, we believe. But everything's just got to be pulled back that little bit so that you know you're not trying to peak you know, when you normally would be or you're not starting to hit the board too early because it could be a long season and I think, you know, by my taking on it, I think they'll be well ready for it when it does start.
1: Yeah, I think everyone can, you know, probably initially had that indulgent period of, of being pretty frustrated and, and down on themselves in terms of the situation but it sounded like Catherine snapped out of that pretty quickly um, and just recognised... Or, you know, tried to communicate as best she could with Alwyn and, and obviously Alwyn's framed that really well in, in setting it up as the opportunity it gives her, um, you know, sort of as she matures into that senior athlete um, and being better prepared for, for the upcoming competitions.
0: And then we do get the coach's perspective there with Peter Benefer. and I just liked his attitude towards just soldering through that we are going to get through this and I think his key role, even though you know, as he fully admitted that even he can be doing it tough at times, but uh, when it comes to presenting to his athletes and the people he's looking after in his little world, it's he's got to be the the mainstay. He's got to be the rock, and he's got to be the one who convinces them there is reason to keep training, and there is a reason that will come out of this, and and things will get better.
1: Yeah, it's tricky because there's definitely um, that assumption, especially from some of those younger athletes, that someone like Peter would be, you know, 100 throughout and would have all the answers. Because yeah, during a normal track season, he does seem to have all the answers. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely a new level of responsibility. Um, for someone in his position to to yeah probably have that level of honesty with the athletes that you know he can appreciate the position they're in because he's probably in a similar one on on various levels
0: it was really interesting talking to Ella Hose. I'd never met her before thanks to Marty Jackson for putting me onto her because she was just an absolute gem for 15 years of age relatively new to the sport but uh, very mature in the response wasn't she
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a fair bit of Allah and, and her dad through the state team over the years. And, um, you know, even just simple things in terms of checking in implements and things like that um, is often, it, it can be a bit of a laborious task. And, you know, often because you've got so many kids on that trip, you know, you very much rely on the athlete um, to, to, you know, bring their equipment to breakfast or something as simple as that and say, hey, okay, we'll, we'll check that in early. And, yeah, she's definitely been one of those standout athletes from quite a young age where she's very much owned her own set of events and and own those results and and the processes around them, um, which yeah is is a little bit rarer to see, um, especially at that young age. I,
0: I just loved her comments about working on the weaknesses and realizing that it is a time for personal growth and personal development. You know, very very wise words for a fifteen-year-old. Uh, with Mister Wallace, as I said during the the uh, the interview too, I just feel for these guys a bit because um, you know everything they do sort of turns to naught at the moment. It his positivity though that it is going to come to something that was really refreshing for me that even through all of this they see a reason to keep pressing ahead with planning and getting all of the um as you say the the biohazard sort of procedures ready they know that we there comes a time we're going to be get, getting it out there we will have uh, a lot of uh, requirements put on top of us as as event organizers and i think our sport delivery team will be ready won't they sean
1: yeah i i think um it can be hard sometimes to express the, the maybe the optics on an event and sort of the stakes behind the scenes. Um, in that you know, pretty much all Victorian sports are under the same level of stringency in in any sort of return to training or competition. Um, and for some sports, yeah, it's a little easier than others. But I think for our sport, on the on the outset, it, it could be relatively difficult. But yeah, I, I think that's a team that. Um, are really going to put in a a ton of work to make sure that some sort of event format is available when it's safe to do so.
0: That's right. I think safe to do so is the primary phrase there because, you know, everyone has to bear in mind at the moment there is no uh, organised sport taking place in Victoria. Yeah, AFL's going and rugby's going, but they're not going in Victoria. So everyone's facing the same issues here and uh, we're just looking at guidance from state government as to how we navigate through the next few weeks, months uh, and into 2021 and beyond. Alice Bequey, I've known Alice for quite a while and really lovely to catch up with her online. But also, even though I've known her for a while, I didn't realise what COVID had done to her change of business. That sort of came as a huge surprise to me that she'd totally gone off, you know, resigned from free positions, gone <laughs> to a totally online business. So, yeah, I was just a little bit taken aback by that. But, gee, that's brave but good on her.
1: Yeah, I, I think as someone who probably, you know, uh, sees too much social media day to day um you you do gain an appreciation for those businesses that have have pivoted really quickly um and taken full advantage of having i guess like a a renewed level of selective connectivity with clients in that you know it it might not be the same as having someone walk through the door of your practice and book a a session and, and you know take part Um, And in in part, there's an advantage of being able to contact someone almost directly in their home, a a space that they're already comfortable in. But it also presents considerable challenges in, you know, standing out in that marketplace and, and retaining those connections with those clients.
0: And we will put it in the show notes, but uh, I would encourage people to have a look in on Alice's uh, Instagram account because she's putting some hilarious stuff out there, particularly with some of the active where she's dragged out from her days as a gymnast. She was also a highly accomplished runner that uh, a lot of people, you know, it's probably slipped through the cracks. I remember her running a, an awesome 10K at Sandown when we had the uh, the Victorian 10K champs out there. So she knows the sport well, knows the people well, and uh, is a great practitioner. And Matt Rizzo. Big news on him at the moment. He's now moving to Queensland. So we, I didn't know that at the time, but it released yesterday that Matt's off to Queensland.
5: Yeah,
1: I kind of felt like guys uh, felt for guys in his situation, especially that sort of state final um, group that we had in, in terms of Jake Penny as well, that ran so fast um, on the day. And I know for them, even before nationals, you know, they, they were all clamoring to sort of get a lane um, up in Queensland, um, and even even the cancellation of that, you know. Um, I know for some of those sprints, guys and girls, it's it's not quite as simple as just sort of going through the motions and being in that shape each season. You know, for some people, that's you know a real culmination of work or or factors in a, in a race and you know executing everything correctly. Um, but yeah, you, you hope for those people that it's just given them a bigger block or a, or a bigger base to build off because um, you know it's I guess there's a level of equivalency in that all of their comp- all of their competitors are in know. Uh, yeah, a similar to same spot, um, and hopefully it just means the depth of those fields is even um, even better come um, a national championship if we can get one.
0: Well, I'm really positive, positive about the sprints at the moment because you know you look at that that group and you mentioned Penny as well. You know what a great run he had the you know the state championships this year and you know they're knocking on the door, aren't they, Sean, for those selections, particularly into relay squads and you know that's the impetus for them to keep going and that's what Matt was saying. You know it's it's hard when you're a sprinter, particularly at the moment. You're going out there. He's doing solo sessions in the middle of Victorian winter, which you know fortunately he's now going to escape at some point, but. You know, just keeping that motivation going, but then having the knowledge that you just have to improve you know that little bit more he's got to get another point one and he's right up there and uh you know and that must be great for a guy like that to be looking forward to and also you know, I'm not sure what the coaching structure will be going forward or where we'll uh retain Matt, but uh could well be the case because they do a lot of stuff online at the moment, but uh you know big future isn't it and for him, Penny, and a few of the others who've been sort of sitting around in the in the shadow of Jack Hale and Browning and those guys for a while
1: I think that's the thing. I think it's very easy to to you know metaphorically crap on a relay team. But um, I think we've seen a lot of nations that have benefited from having that sort of backup queue of guys that are, or girls that are very, very close to making a relay team, in that, you know, uh, without being flippant, it it forcibly um, makes those top end sprinters, you know, be more alert and, and, you know, sort of have the pressure to perform better at every race because they know they've got um, competitors that, yeah, you know, just I guess just that perception as well that that you know, as much as you might think someone was a ten six or a ten five guy before a race, you know there seems to be that completely different regard for an athlete where they drop into being you know someone that's run ten three. Um, and I know for someone from a diff- distance background, yeah, you know, there's probably a lack of understanding there in that you know we simply equate ten three being a hell of a lot closer to ten two, ten one, and so on. But you know, that must be such a huge change for those athletes as well if you've sort of been plugging away at ten seven, ten six for a while um and then you know you get that one day right <laughs> and you think to yourself hang on what if i get another big block of work in and i have another one of those good days you know does that put me down to ten two or 10-1 because the doors that opens up in the relay squad are, are pretty spectacular
0: well, they are, and what I also like though is I think it drags others through with them, and I think we're seeing that in Victoria at the moment with the rise of the you know the Pennies and the the Ritzos that uh, you know coming and challenging the Jack Hales that uh, that is then building a base for some very strong sprinting in the years to come.
1: Yeah, I think I think it just you know you you have that opportunity to create a, a bit of a new normal, um, and I think you know we see that very often in distance events where if there's been a crop of Athletes at a certain time for a number of years, um, you know, you get three or four really talented juniors come through, or or they hit that you know middle band of their senior career, and and all of a sudden, you know, uh, a three forty or a three thirty seven isn't quite what it used to be, and and yeah, you know, three thirty five or whatever it may be, just becomes the the new accepted stake in the ground. Um, so it'd be awesome to see you know ten two or ten one sort of become that new normal again for for sprinting.
0: Let's hope it goes that way. So, look, an interesting episode. Hopefully everyone enjoyed those interviews and it was really – it was fun actually doing those because, you know, six different people, with six different perspectives and a big thank you once again to them for participating. Now, the world of athletics hasn't stopped, has it, Sean, even though we've been in stage for a lockdown. Do you want to just sort of cover off some of the international stuff, people who have escaped our Melbourne bubble?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty busy. Um, I think everyone's probably up to date with all the the Monaco bits and bobs. That was probably the first um, major comp, um, but I guess it's flowed on into you know. Uh, there's also an adaptive sort of level of comp over in Europe, in the sense that they're sort of clamouring to see which country can or can't host events, um, and, and people seem to be making plans, you know, sort of quite close to events, um, and that's that's made for some exciting races. So. I know Stuart McSwain and and Matt Ramsden and and Ryan Gregson and Jen Gregson, sort of that MTC crew were in um Gothenburg um last weekend. Um and I think, yes, yeah, Stewie was definitely the the most impressive um there once again. He he ran um ran thirteen oh nine and I think I was discussing this with a couple of mates over the week and you know we sort of saw him run thirteen oh nine and thought, oh yeah, that, that's about where he's at. But then sort of checked that statement in the sense that you know, it's, it's still one of the fastest times he's ever run in his career. You know, his PBs, that don't know, five. Um, and just the way he did it, you know, he was he was 807 at, at 3K on the dot um, and just absolutely obliterated the last five laps. Uh, I think he was about 502 point um, for that last 2K. Um, and he just just ground it down. You know, it was it was absolutely solo, just 61s into 60s into 59s. Um, and just, you know, the the strength he's got to be carrying around at the moment, you know, having run so fast over 1,500 just the week before. Um, I think every time, you know, he's he's got what the sport needs in that every time that guy steps on the track, um, even whether it's a fast or a slow race, it's just that, that curiosity of seeing what he might do, you know, or what might happen if he's pushed. Um, and I think that's the cool thing, you know. Hopefully we get to this point of a, a national championship where, you know, it does allow McSwain to dabble in that sort of 1500 spot you know he does almost shape up as one of those athletes that could do I guess a new a new double that's in vogue the sort of 1500 10k double with um some of the scheduling but you know I I think seeing you know Ollie Hoare drop a 353 mile the other day after being sort of paced just to 800 and then going solo from there um I think it's that thing where on paper people go, oh, okay, you know, Stewie's got a much faster PB, and, and he does, and you know, he he should be afforded that respect. But you know, when you put people in those rounds and those sort of kg tactical situations, um, it's just it's one of the most exciting formats to watch. Um, so really looking forward to to you know wherever he lines up next. Um, they don't look like um, they're going to compete in Brussels, so they must have something else on the cards. I know there's some racing in Marseille coming up. Um, but yeah, the, we've also had some success in the jumps at the same time.
0: Yeah, Nicola McDermott's doing very well. So 198 for her new PB, and yeah, you know, we were talking off air about the fact that with uh, Patterson at 199, now McDermott at 198, we're going to have two two-meter jumpers. We would hope within the next year or so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think both um, Nicola and Eleanor, are, you know, in that um, that regularity of competition at such a high level. Um, you know you, you do get that sense or that level of optimism that it's not really it's not as if they don't have the ability it's just a matter of time um until it happens and you know i know there have been <laughs> rumors from both camps that you know both athletes have, have cleared two meters in training per se which i know in the field world is you know it's it's often mentioned but know, yeah, you've, you've got to do it on the day and and work up to the height but yeah i, th- I think um if we were in that sort of perfect world where we've got two two-metre jumpers going into Tokyo, um, yeah, it'd be a real treat for for field fans around the country.
0: It is one of those weird things, isn't it, that uh, quite often they will get their PBs in uh, you know, at a point where it doesn't matter because it is in training and I'm aware of the same rumours that the two metres has been broken. Now they've just got to get it into the comp.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't attest to knowing very much about how that works in field event training, but I think it is, yeah. Obviously, the, the the fatigue that sets in in a in a competition situation and the various tactics and rigmarole. But yeah, it's it's cool to hear. Um, and we've also had um, Peter Bowles been knocking away at the 800 over there, which can be, as we've seen with some of the pacing and and some of the yeah, you know, sort of bumps and brawls in in those events can be a really hard event to get right. Um, but you know, he obviously started off on such a good note in Monaco. You know, second time in his career, he's been under 145 and. He's definitely been racing really aggressively um, in most of his outings over there um, along with his buddy, Joseph Deng. Um, so it be interesting to see where those guys line up next. I think there's a few groups at the moment that are just, you know, having a, a little pause, maybe a, a little weak top-up. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it is cool to see all the Aussies whizzing around and um, and not to discount her at all, but um, also Jess Hull, who, while well, she is from New South Wales, and there has been ample uh, New South Wales coverage. Um, is, is definitely setting that, that you know, renewed um, 1500 5K standard
0: um, overseas. Well, certainly an international star now, Hull, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And then, you know, the next couple of years for her are extremely exciting. I think she's she's the big thing for Australian, you know, distance athletics now or middle distance through the distance.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of heard a comment um, the other week where she was being interviewed and, you know, it was a sizable PB to break the national record and and you know, I think a lot of people would have queried, oh, I did you know, did Jess think she was in that shape, et cetera, et cetera? And I think she noted she thought she was in slightly faster shape, so you know, was definitely happy with how it came off. But, you know, I, I think it's refreshing to see that level of confidence in an athlete as well, that they know where they're at and, you know, they go into these big, quite hyped up, high pressure races, um, quite confident in their own abilities. Um, and I think that's definitely a mindset that'll benefit those Australians on on these bigger major championship stages,
0: well, so, certainly something you could say about Stuart. Stuart McSwain at the moment, you know, his confidence in tackling some of those big names of international athletics with <laughs> no fear—I am loving that. Absolutely loving it. Oh,
1: that was yeah, without a doubt, the most exciting thing to see in Stockholm. The fact that yeah, you know, every man and his dog in the comments was saying, "Oh, if he just sat in, you know, he could have run three thirty, he could have run this, he could have run that," but you know, he he wasn't there to you know try and pinpoint a time. Um, he took on he poked his head out with 300 to go and tried to take on two of the best 1500 meter runners on the planet and, and worried both of them enough that they both took off. Um, so yeah, he, he did sort of by, uh, by tactical design, end up, um, spending a few bickies down the back straight, but, um, you know, you, you consider how many times he's broken 332 32 now. I think he's, he's done it three times. Um, it's, it's just a, a remarkable level of consistency at, at what is a, a terrifyingly high level of competency in that event. Um, and I think if you can do that at his age, you know, he's 25, you know, I, I don't see why he can't continue to compete at this level for another another good handful of years and
0: continue. Well, I think he's going to take some big scalps soon too. If he keeps, you know, if he keeps going in with that attitude, it will happen. He will surprise more more athletes and he's going to take some huge scalps. And, you know, you look forward to, to 2021 and 2022 for the world champs and people have to be thinking this guy is a serious contender for the dais.
3: Yeah,
1: and, and like you said, I know he had, um, I think, um, one of those sort of 3K time trials before he left to go overseas and, you know, people would say, oh, he, he only ran 7.39, in inverted commas, um, and, you know, he's PB's um, 34-odd. But I think one of the comments he made was that, you know, um, pretty windy day down at the track in Australia is is not quite being in a Diamond League in Rabat and yep. all Chalimo on your shoulder and closing in 54. You know, there are some of those competitive things you you can't, just splice into
0: a you know a windy Wednesday at training. <laughs> As much- no, exactly. It's all about the dynamics, isn't it? Yeah. All right. it has been good for us to be a bit distracted by some of these things going on overseas. I think that's helped with some of the doom and gloom back here and, you know, we look forward to some more performances in, in coming weeks and months uh, as we start to see some level of light at the end of the tunnel too. Everyone's now anticipating. We don't know what uh, is going to come over the next few weeks. You know, we're in the hands of government once again. We don't anticipate there'll be huge announcements about sport anytime soon because, you know, economy and all those sort of things are going to be the, the number one problem priorities first let's hope there are some restrict or easing of restrictions on people's ability to get out there and enjoy their own level of uh, sport and hopefully the the one hour rule and things like that might be a thing of the past before too long but we've also got to remember that we're in this stuff for a reason and that we've all got personal responsibility and i would encourage you know our av listeners to 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 bear in mind if you've got one You know, symptom of this. Get yourself tested. You know, because the more people get tested, and the lower the rates come out of that, then the quicker we're going to come out of this too. If it's proven that uh, community spread is going right down because the levels of testing is still at you know twenty, thirty thousand a day, then you know, hopefully, that is more of a a, an impetus for the government to move more quickly. But uh, look, that's out of our hands, isn't it, Sean?
1: (laughs) and I think you know, as much as as much as it's it's you know, it's an AV podcast that you and I. Work very hard on and, and really enjoy doing. You know, I, I think that's been our a, a little polite frustration. You know, it's not as if you know we we would ever choose not to run events. You know, there's there's some pretty high stakes for you and I as well in uh in in our jobs. So um, yeah, I I just really want to reiterate to people that we will be doing our absolute utmost to get events back when we get that green light from the higher ups um, and we'd love nothing more than to see a, you know, a fully fledged season back in action. But it's just a matter of taking in that information every day from the powers that be um, and pushing on as best we can.
0: Yeah and look despite events there's still a lot of activity at AV2 there you know, the uh, the first of the coaching seminars was last week we've got Alwyn Jones on one soon uh, Mark Stewart's coming on to a coaching seminar the coaching courses are just going gangbusters each one of them is selling out and we're just rolling them out uh, you know as soon as one finishes another one starts and uh, we're getting huge um, amount of interest but also great feedback on the online coaching so yet again if you've considered you know this is a great time to, to venture into coaching although the the topic of Alwyn Jones is um, seminar next week is going to be all about how do you uh, manage being an athlete and still, and coach at the same time. And, and I'm looking forward to that because I think it's going to be quite an interesting one for those in that situation that are looking at coaching but are still competing. How do you juggle that? So, yeah, you know, it's some interesting content there. But, yeah, you know, we're still ticking things over. Sean, your writing has gone to a new level as well. You're doing lots of articles.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a change in direction uh, for my usual work Given we can't really get out to um, some of those communities or groups we usually work with. Um, in, in that sort of multicultural or, or regional space. But, yeah, we've, we've also got a fair bit on with the Target Talent Program. I know we've got our first um, virtual sort of workshop um, this Friday um, and those kids have got a huge opportunity in hearing from both Kim Mulhall and, and I think Kath Mitchell might chime in as well on, on some you know, some formative concepts around goal setting. Um, and then I think it'll just be a really good um, opportunity to catch up within event groups um, and really try and share some info on what's worked best. For athletes in this time and you know if, if everyone contributes a little bit you know you, you never know what you might learn off of someone else that might be in the same situation as you just in a different suburb or different training group so really excited to see how that goes and, and so far I've, I feel like we've had pretty good buy-in for that too.
0: Another interesting thing I found from our Tuesday meeting is that over 50 officials were contacted in the last week just to, you know, the RUOK calls and uh, yet again that stuff's happening in the background at AV that people just don't know about and it's uh, certainly, it's not uh, through the direction that people are being told to do this but uh, our officials team is certainly uh, going out of their way to make sure that our, our dearly loved officials are, are trying to get through this period as well as well as they can. So, Sean, that's it for episode 45, quite a diverse one. And uh, thank you once again for your contributions and uh, your views. And I look forward to 46, which is already taking shape, and that should be out for in another two weeks.
1: Yeah, pleasure as always, Tim. Looking forward to the next one.